In this episode, I'm talking to Charlie Cook, founder and CEO of RightCharge. RightCharge are looking to simplify the decision making and the purchasing process when looking at an electric vehicle. RightCharge brings multiple brands of charge points to the consumer with rich descriptions, user reviews, and simple tools to find the right charge point for their requirements. To complete the journey, drivers are connected with the best local installers to get the charge point they need. Charlie is a young, ambitious, and impressive CEO. Hopefully this conversation will help you demystify your decision when considering an electric vehicle. Good afternoon, Charlie. Welcome to Zeus Founder and Chief Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you, Paul. Pleasure. We've spoken before about your background and your journey to setting up Bright Charge. For our listeners, can you start talking about a young Charlie and where all this entrepreneur and CEO craziness came from? <laughs> Certainly. So my background personally, um, I've come from a family business background, which certainly I think has meant I've grown up wanting to start a company since um, I can remember. Um, I think at every stage of my life, in fact, I've sort of decided ultimately to go on to the next thing rather than starting something in that moment, which I think always felt a little bit like failure. It was always like, oh, I'll come out of school and start a company. Oh, I've ended up at university. Oh, I'll graduate and I'll start something. Oh, I've ended up in a job, etc., etc. Until um, I think the key, the key change was um, I was lucky enough to get a job with Octopus Energy right in their early days. And I, and I, to be honest, I chose that role because it gave me the chance to uh, really learn about new business, uh, scaling fast, how to bring products to market. What year would this be? So this was 2017 and Octopus would have launched about a year earlier. So yeah, still quite a young business. Um, and, I, and I did actually have uh, an offer to go to a big business at that stage. So for me, um, it was, you know, do I go and join a big company in renewables or do I go to a startup and yeah and it was ultimately it was about do I want to go and learn how to run a big business or do I want to go and learn how to start things and and at the end of the day that was much more aligned with what I've always wanted so I ended up at Octopus and that was a fantastic decision. Were you well do you have entrepreneurs in this sort of family history or were you a family of academics what's your background um yeah certainly more like on the entrepreneurial side um starting really with my granddad actually um so my granddad started a, a local travel agency in the in the 70s i think um which in those days could earn you a lot of money <laughs> which obviously can't these days where was he sending people to and from um he started it in fact as a, a specialist school ski trip business um so yeah so despite the fact you know born and raised relatively poor in swansea you know um, i've done my ancestry.com and i'm from swansea for about 10 generations i I was born and raised in um in the midlands but it was it was my granddad's business that brought him out of that background and into into um into england and you know a bit more um a bit more comfortable situation um so yeah he, he started with the school uh, school ski trips and then that just evolved into a wider travel agency with your traditional family holidays business holidays that kind of thing um, and my parents then ran that company and, um, and have done for most of my life and I think you know I have this sort of vivid memory of finding out that my 
my dad was the boss of this little company when mm-hmm. I was like, you know, probably less than 10. And, and that you know really kind of imprinted on me. I think that I wanted to go and do the same thing in the future. It's not just sort of dinner table, kitchen table kind of conversations about running businesses. Yeah. And it's, you know, my mum's involved now. Um, you know, she does, you know, our bookkeeping and okay. um, dad came up with the name for the business and all all four of my siblings have been involved uh, oh, in some okay. capacity at some point. So, yeah, family business is, is in our blood, I think. I like that, thank you. So the world of electric vehicles, whether OEMs, charging, the cost to charge these vehicles, it it feels like it's quite a confusing space for um, any consumer really, and it is, I think, albeit you know, new technology. You decided to simplify it, and I said in my introduction how you go about that. I think it's probably best for you to, to explain it in your own words. Explain what Right Charge does, and maybe come at it from a customer journey perspective. For sure. Um, and it is a totally confusing space. And so that really is the foundation of what we're trying to achieve is to simplify this experience. Actually at Octopus, so going back to that Octopus experience, experience briefly, but uh, whilst, whilst I was there, we launched a company called Octopus Electric Vehicles. And that was an EV only leasing company. Right. And so we had to learn about, well, how to sell electric cars, but also then how to introduce people to setting up to charge at home, um, you know, which charge points should you go for, who do you get it installed by. Uh, obviously, there's a public charging aspect of that as well. And I think that really, it was in the early days of the market, but the problems that existed then still do quite, by and large, still yeah, exist today. So. Um, and for me, the, the biggest thing was really at the time, um, any anywhere you bought a vehicle from, they would generally have a charge point offering, um, but it would almost always be a single offer, a single charge point. And there was a perception that effectively all charges are born equal, but there's certainly benefits in choosing the right one. So from your most basic level of getting a charge point installed and being able to schedule through to off-peak hours, if you get a electricity tariff with off-peak rates overnight which is what we recommend but then some more advanced things like if you've got solar panels on your roof or if you're thinking about getting solar panels and actually a really large percentage of ev drivers you probably wouldn't be surprised are in that category um then there's a different you know there's different charge points that might cost a little bit more up front but um they're able to actually read how much solar is being generated from okay. your solar panels and they'll um, they'll notice if that generation starts to exceed what you're using in the house. So you've got a surplus of solar power at that point and the charge is clever enough to go, okay, well, I'll start turning up the charge to the car at this moment so we can okay. soak up that excess solar rather than pushing it back to the grid. I think that's a really nice example of just one feature that you'd, you'd like everyone to be aware of at least you know, when they get their car because what we really don't want to see is people getting one charge point offer, they put it on the house and then... They learn a bit more about EV charging from their friends or from Facebook groups. And then a year later, they realize they really re- made the wrong they decision because that's quite a hard thing to come back from. You have to you know, pay another £500,000 to get that charge point replaced. So for us, it's about let's make sure we get drivers the right charge point to begin with. And we do that through a really simple flow on the website. So you, you come on to the right charge, you answer three questions about um, you know, your own preferences, and then you get a recommendation or you see charge points listed in terms of suitability, actually. And you okay. can select whichever one you like. So that's problem one. And then problem two is um, 
the actual experience of then going through the process to purchase that charge point and get it installed can also sometimes be quite painful. Um, and we did a bit of research earlier this year, actually. Uh, we, we surveyed a 1,000 EV drivers, um, and 59% of them said that they found the process of setting up to charge at home overwhelming. Right. And I think that's, you know, they struggle with the first piece, which is understanding which charge point to go for. And then even once they've got that far, I think there's an unfortunate prevalence of challenges, delays, lack of response, installer not turning up on the day, this kind of stuff. You know, if you get anything done in your house, you're probably familiar with these types of problems. Um, and so we ultimately we want to just take that out of the whole process because it feels to me like a bit of a thorn in the side of the electric revolution. And we want to make sure that pain point just doesn't exist. Um, and the way we're doing that is by creating a network of the best charge point installation companies across the country, um, which brings us on to a little bit about our business model because um, actually we're not charge point installers. We are a tech platform that enables charge point installations. So we're back now by uh, just over 100 of the best charge point installation companies in the UK. They sign up to our platform, customers see their prices, and we connect those customers to those charge point installers to get a great experience. So how are you benchmarking the installers? We use a combination of upfront due diligence. Um, actually, once you're in this industry, you just start to learn and hear about which installation companies are really doing a very okay. good job of customer experience. Um, but as well as that upfront due diligence, we then carefully monitor their performance once they're on the platform. And that's the beauty of, the, of, of I guess, the technology we've built is that we can see stage by stage how every single customer is progressing through that process. And we can use that information to make sure that the best performing installers, so those who are getting back to customers as, you know, in yep. the quickest possible times, getting the charge yeah. points installed as quickly as possible, they get more business and you know, vice versa, which is how we can install in an average of two to three weeks instead of you know, sometimes two to three months that we see from um, you know, typical market experiences. So in a utopian world, when would a user, or more accurately, when would somebody looking to purchase an electric vehicle, when would they find you? When would they land on your platform? Have they already made the decision, or do they do they look at you in the same at the same sort of time? So it all becomes one one process. You're purchasing the car, and the the charge points already there. So we see, um, in terms of when the driver comes to us, I think we see a bit of a mixture, um, because a mixture in terms of like. Some people will come to us way before they've bought their car. Yeah. Um, some some people will come way after. I think that'd be me. <laughs> yeah. And, and Post purchase, I've got a car. What do we do? Yeah, that's definitely a pretty clear category. You get you get people who are like, oh, my car's coming in uh, in five days. I need to get a charge point installed, which is fine. And obviously, we we'll, we'll make sure we we do the best possible job for those. But um, yeah, we. We'll, we'll either see them come to us um, before they've made that vehicle purchase or it will be usually soon after. And typically the way they find out about us is um, one of two ways. So either they'll be referred to Right Charge by the company they've bought their car from, so if it's a dealership group okay, or nice. um, a leasing company. So so we, we partner with the big dealership groups, leasing companies, and we um, uh, effectively become their recommended charging partner. Okay, well done. Um, so that's one, uh, one way that a driver would find us, or, or perhaps they just go online and you know, we'll be visible on Google once they search, what do I do about charging? Yeah. Right, yeah. Okay, okay, <laughs> yeah. Thank you. So you may have already touched on this, but how how long did it take 
to move from the experiences that you were seeing in your previous employment to essentially where we are at the moment. So you had the light bulb, right, okay, I think I've got a, a solution to here to this problem or where am I isn't quite finding that solution to where we are today. It was a lot of exploration, to be honest. Definitely wasn't overnight. Um, and I think one of the best decisions I made slash one of the best offers I had, I suppose, two sides of the same coin, is Octopus um, gave me the chance to continue working in my role uh, two days a week. Um, okay. Initially, that was, I think, the agreement with my boss uh, was that would last three or four months whilst I set up the company. Ended up lasting 12. Um, <laughs> so I, I really learned from that. I mean... Was that them trying to keep you or them thinking this idea won't go off the ground? Yeah, way? maybe. Yeah, like, yeah, let's just bring it back in three months once this has flopped. Um, Let but, it get him out of a system. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but no, I mean, I guess like maybe advice to people who are thinking about starting a business is, I suppose, probably particularly if it's the first time you've done it, particularly if it's like a new market and you've mm -hmm. got to find your way a bit. I think trying to maintain some level of employment, like in parallel, maybe not five days a week, because I tried that and it's really hard to get any progress, you know, like even if you're doing evenings and weekends. Yeah, it's just, even, it's obviously it burns you out, but you just don't really get that much done. So, that, so I found the two day, for me, the two day system was brilliant. So, um, so yeah, to answer your question, sorry. So, um, you know, it's been a, a three year journey up till now. Um, and I launched the uh, yeah I launched the first version of the website, which was actually coded by my little brother. So you know, okay. bringing him into That's the sibling picture. Sibling number one. There, yeah, right? yeah, okay, sibling okay. number one. Um, so he he built the first version. We got that live in September 2019, uh, and that was just the charge point service. Um, and then a year later, we haven't really talked about this yet actually, but we do also help drivers with finding the best deal on their home energy. Okay. So um, yeah, long and short of it really is as soon as you buy an electric car and you start charging at home, the equation for which tariff you should be on changes. Um, and you can save a lot of money by switching generally 90% plus of occasions, you can save money by switching to a specialist EV tariff. And typically what that means is it's just a tariff that an energy supplier has designed to have a an off-peak rate of electricity, so a low rate of electricity overnight. Because you should, in theory, be using, or it's more beneficial to use it off-peak, and you'll probably be using larger chunks of energy. Therefore. Precisely, okay. yeah, because you you can just choose to charge your car in that period. It doesn't really make much difference to your life. It's like how you charge your iPhone. Mm. Um, so you definitely take advantage of those off-peak rates overnight. It increases the price of your day rate slightly, but the savings you make from your car outweigh any increase in like the cost of your home energy, if you like. Right, okay. So you end up saving um, typically over £400 a year. The average driver can save just by switching to the best tariff, even today with the price cap. Um, so that is a, a comparison service that we built from the ground up. We've got direct relationships with the energy suppliers. That's all done, you know, in-house. And we launched that a year later. Um, uh, we raised the first funding round in 2020, which is how I went full time. So it was a sort of smallish, like angel, friends and family round. Okay. And then year year after that, um, raised a slightly larger 700,000 pre-seed round. Um, and then fast forward one year, and that's today. So you you kind of touched on some challenges, and I'll I'll elaborate on my question. So when you're bootstrapping a business, um, as it sounds like you obviously have done, and you've you've kept a job whilst trying to launch this. 
what are the sort of early day challenges that you face? How do you how do you get it off the ground? How do you get the the solution that you're offering into the the mindset of whether it's the OEMs, the dealers, the the energy people, getting yourself up Google, etc. Just talk to us on those 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 headaches. Sure. Yeah. How long do we have? Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everything is a challenge, um, and and I think that's really part of the beauty of doing something like this starting your own business is if you really like learning if you like being outside of your comfort zone a bit then that's never gonna stop does it help that you're <laughs> passionate about this particular subject yeah a hundred percent um i'm not sure i can imagine running a business that i'm not passionate about the subject matter um you know, maybe some people are successful with that but yeah. i think the vast majority of successful entrepreneurs will be very passionate i would expect um so so yeah you know everything's a challenge you learn learning how to hire um you know learning how to um build things without spending much money mm-hmm. um learning how to sell is a huge one actually and and in fact i'm not entirely sure i realized this when i started but um selling is my full-time job um pretty much you know, uh, vast your majority. B2B to C, essentially. B2B to C, but if you think about it, I mean, perhaps three of my most important things that I do are partnerships and leading yeah. on some of the bigger partnerships these days, um, fundraising mm-hmm. and recruiting. And in all three of those, all you're doing is selling the business in, in a slightly different flavor, maybe, um, but you're selling the vision. Uh, you're selling what you've achieved already uh, and you're selling the value proposition to the customer. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you just become a full-time salesperson. <laughs> when did you realise that you were on that you were on the right path? When did you realise that, yeah, this is not just an idea and something that I know makes sense, but actually this is making a difference to people and we're starting to see some volumes coming through. Mm. When was that moment? Yeah, great question. I think probably two moments and maybe what's quite interesting about our business is because we're a platform, we just have an insane number of stakeholders. Because <laughs> that's basically what we do is we connect people. Yeah, um, so I think I guess the first, first moment where it felt like perhaps it was going to work is talking to the installation companies and realizing that they were interested in signing up to something like this and they were obviously importantly quite comfortable with paying for the service for for the for the business that we generate for them second threshold or milestone i suppose then was first few customers that came through so we realized that what we'd built was useful to drivers to you know homeowners and actually they're choosing to go with us over the multitude of other offers in the market and then the third one which took longer um, and there was definitely a moment where I thought this wasn't going to happen. Um, but the third one was finding out that not just, you know, vehicle retailers, car retailers valued the service, but actually that the, some of the UK's biggest car retailers value the service it was like that moment where it was like, okay, we have this service with two sides of the marketplace with installers and customers, and both of them are quite happy with it. But that's just going to remain a hobby unless we've got some way to scale it. And so that's why that third one was important. Um, and I'd say probably if I tried to pinpoint that moment, it was probably in, in la- last year when we signed a deal with uh, Lucas, a third yeah. top three dealership group. Yeah. And that was a moment where, you know, 
we were like, okay, this is something that actually is valuable to... The right charge here. It's starting to make a dent. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but no, like I said, like, I think maybe six months before that, um, I remember feeling like perhaps that was never going to come and, and, and wondering whether this was what this you know business model would work so yeah. um yeah there's there's moments where you're not sure as well okay yeah <laughs> thank you let's touch a little bit on the um the detail end of the business and we'll 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 focus on your business model and talk a little bit around fundraisers that you've done um what is the revenue model for right charge effectively we charge a commission um from our installation partners so for each install they do we earn a uh, we earn a commission, small commission, um, and uh, in addition, we, under normal market uh, uh, conditions, we earn a commission from a tariff switch as well. Okay. So we've got contracts with the installation companies, and we've got contracts with energy suppliers, um, and we are still making a, a vastly reduced, but we are still making a bit of commission on the tariff side. So, as a business today, we are keeping that charge sorry we're keeping the tariff comparison service live updated usable because we have thousands of people using it every month but we make basically nothing from that um but it's a great value add for our drivers who come to the service initially for charge points so do you expect them with the the current pressures on energy prices will that continue or when that normalizes what what will happen then in terms of, of, of the revenue model We'll certainly see a return for that revenue stream once the energy market returns to some level of normality. Um, and is normality stability or just lower prices? I think it's really about the position the energy suppliers are in because where they are today, they just they can't afford to acquire. It doesn't make sense right now for them to acquire additional customers. Uh, you know, it's previously in this crisis they've been paying for every customer they have so a customer acquisition has been quite obviously turned off um but as the natural natural gas prices come down which they mm -hmm. are the tariff prices will will also decrease there'll be margin in that business again for energy suppliers um and at that moment obviously they'll want to return to to growing um, and to growing their customer base and that's obviously where we can help them um to get those ev drivers switched over to their tariffs so then to touch on fundraisers, um, you've mentioned that you, you, well, you bootstrapped it, you've really probably got friends and family involved at a very, very early stage, but you've mentioned that you've got angels and you are, as we sit in December 2022, um, crowdfunding on Correct. the Cedars platform. Correct. Um, can you talk us through just those stages of fundraisers that you've done to help the listeners understand what, what you've brought into the business so far? And then, interestingly, why did you go down the crowdfund route? Sure thing, yeah. Um, so as, as you say, originally the business was bootstrapped. Um, I mean, as, as an example, it seems kind of crazy to me these days, but the original version of the website was actually built for £1,000. It feels like we can't do anything for £1,000 now. Um, but I, I managed to sort of get that over the line by... Um, I worked with a friend of mine who does design. So we Got your siblings to do it. <laughs> uh, well, uh, yeah, well, he eventually built, he, he eventually built the first... But actually, sorry, yeah, you're right. The first version cost me a thousand pound with my brother, and then the second version cost me a thousand pound because I put um, a poster up in Imperial University oh, for like part-time coder, and this absolute genius applied. Um, and obviously, well it's a part-time gig for him, so yeah. he he didn't mind doing it. as a bit of work to go on his CV. He went on actually to go and work for Palantir, which is I don't know if 
listeners will have heard of that, but probably one of the most impressive tech companies in the world. Very uh, underground, actually. You found uh, him. Sorry. You found him. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I, I did. I sourced him, and then he then he left for uh, for a big tech company. But um, yeah, maybe just to give you a flavour. I mean, that was kind of how how I managed to get the business off the ground in the early days with basically just using the savings I had in the bank account. Um, and then in 2020 then, which was, yeah, about a year after I started, uh, I was able to raise a hundred thousand pound round from friends and family and a few angels. Um, a year later, um, yeah, last year I raised a a pre-seed round, which was 700,000. Um, that was quite an experience. All of these funding rounds are are quite an experience um you know, we brought on some brilliant angels at the beginning um so one of the guys actually uh, a guy called henry desot he was the founder of a company called look after my bills which was a auto switching service so you just sign up give them permission to switch you happy days beautiful idea sold to go compare uh, and actually when he was launching it he was on dragon's den and got the best ever deal on on dragon's mm-hmm. den so um henry came on board uh, a bunch of other um, some other ex-founders. Um, we had uh, two big investors come in, and one of them came in, and we were just about to sign the agreement for oh God, I think it was one hundred and fifty thousand or something like that. Um, and actually, my lawyer was quite slow at the time, so not bitter, but um, it took him a little bit of time to get the contract drafted. And during that period, the energy crisis really started. Mm-hmm. And for them, they were really interested in the tariff comparison side and that yeah, revenue stream because that's what they knew. So we lost them. So uh, anyway, we built it back up, and then and then the, the ending was was a interesting moment because we were we were closing at um, five p.m. on a Wednesday in November. And I got a LinkedIn invite from a Norwegian chairman of a VC fund in Norway. And he, and he sent me a message and said, um, are you fundraising? I said, well, we are, but we're actually closing at five o'clock today. Uh, so why don't we catch up in a week or two? Because, you know, obviously there could be opportunities at the next round. And he replied and said, well, you know, if you're closing today, why don't we talk today? And we, we jumped on the phone at four o'clock and by 4.30, he'd put in 100K. So that took our round from Incredible, 600K to 700. That brought on our first VC, first institutional money as well. The CEO of that VC, so it's Link Capital CEO of that, uh, fund is now on our board so she came on onto our board when we created it a couple of months ago um, so yeah it's been a fantastic journey and, and as you say we're now uh, raising a round on um, uh, Cedars uh, which How is much on Cedars you're looking so 300,000 target okay. um, and we'll we'll see where it gets to um, but for us you know it's just a fantastic opportunity to bring on board the EV community and, and mm. a lot of our community from the sector as well that they can invest anything from you know ten pounds to ten thousand pounds that's the beauty of cedars um, and we, we expect we'll have a like two or three hundred investors probably come via that route uh, and you know one one thing for us with that is if you drive an electric car then I think you tend to find one of the favorite topics of conversations for people who drive electric cars are electric cars so um there's that sort of word of mouth opportunity for ambassadors that are also investors which is a really nice win-win for us cool that's good yeah you know we are we meet a lot of businesses that when they have done crowdfunding it is predominantly for that that retail customer base mm. to sort of raise the profile and you're not a brand per se but it's about that brand recognition to be able to get yourselves out into the consciousness of people totally yeah 
So we touched on challenges and quite a lot of the conversations being on challenges, and I think it's probably relevant for you given where you are in the sort of maturity and growth of the business. We, we are meeting you as, as you are growing rather than you sort of reach maturity. Um, other than the challenge that you've had growing the business itself, what have been the challenges from a macro, economic and environment perspective? And again, we've sort of touched on energy prices and tariffs, mm. and such, but how does that affect the business like you yourselves that are so plugged into that? Pardon well, the pun. I suppose, yeah. I suppose first and foremost, uh, we, you know, I think we feel, I personally feel very lucky that we are in a industry sector that is just obviously going to continue growing. Yeah. And I don't think many sectors have that level of Agreed. comfort. In fact, it's government mandated that our sector grows up to 2030, which is pretty amazing. Um, and we're seeing the EV sector grow anywhere from 30 to 50% year on year. You know, that's been uh, the last couple of years, I think I've been closer to 50. Um, so it's mega growth. So, you know, nothing to complain about really. Um, however, I suppose, well, actually, perhaps if I just, just, just elaborate a little bit on that, because, you know, we, we are in the automotive sector. Mm. And, and so we're, you know, very much in tune and um, close to our automotive partners who rely on new car sales whether be they electric or petrol so it's just an interesting dynamic where obviously we've seen a a bit of a reduction in new car sales over the last 12 24 months however i think what everyone realizes is that the ev growth comes because we are seeing a switch of technology within that new car market so you've the fact that we've got this drop in new car sales doesn't massively impact the EV rate of growth. And um, I think, you know, we're also seeing some EV brands are actually doing very well at um, managing the supply challenges that we have today. So um, overall, I think the market we're in is just a brilliant one. And we, we, you know, we we can never use it as an excuse, I suppose. Um, However, yeah, I mean, clearly we're in challenging economic times at the moment. Um, you know, we've discussed the impact on the energy market, which is, you know, severe. Um, and I think the other uh, factor that we have to consider is that also capital raising is a lot harder now than it was. Um, and so what that means for us is that, well, we're, you know, fortunate that we're, we've been well funded last year. Yeah. We're, we looks like we're probably, we look, we look on track to raise a successful round now as well. But I think I have to be very conscious that next year, what we might have expected to be quote unquote enough to raise what we need to raise might not be enough. So, you know, for us, it just means we've got to go faster and be more ambitious and grow our revenues faster than we might have thought we needed to. I mean, obviously we want to do it as fast as possible, yeah. but, but, but fundraising does lead our targets. Um, so going into next year, we're using what we think we need to show to investors as a guide for what the whole business has to achieve. Growth, yeah. yeah. So looking further afield then and into the future, um, what are the next stages of evolution for Right Charge, whether that is product-led or geographies I think the future looks like an incredibly exciting space for us um, we've got the expansion of our existing business model and scaling of that 
business, I suppose, you know, okay. purely from the charge point installation and, and tariff switching, whether, you know, whenever the revenue comes back, it's slightly relevant. The, the activity there will grow as in line with the, with the charge point installations. So, you know, we're lucky we're getting to talk to really exciting businesses in the automotive mm-hmm. space, leading auto retailers, learning more about them every single day. So that part of the business is is really exciting for me as well personally and we'll be developing the platform and we'll just be making it more intelligent um you know, more powerful and ultimately uh the whole goal of that is to make the experience better and better and better for the customer and to be able to ha- handle higher and higher volumes and scale however in parallel we have this ambition to not just use our model to help people install charge points but actually we see a lot of the challenges that we're solving on the charge point installation are shared by homeowners wanting to install other technologies and specifically solar panels, yep. battery storage. And we expect in a six months, 12 months, 18 months, more and more, we'll see heat pumps you know, really growing. Um, and if you look at those two markets for you know, two segments where you've got charge points and then other home renewable technologies, you've got complexity, You've got lack of obvious providers in the market, um, and those are the challenges. But additionally, you know, you've got a, probably a similar customer base, you know, p- potentially slightly more affluent, so can uh, afford these technologies earlier on in the adoption curve. Um, so it's eco-minded, um, and then if you look at sort of from an infrastructure level for us as a business, we already have this network of installation companies across the country that are trained and brilliant at not only installing charge points, but they do install solar and battery storage in particular. Um, and finally, from a data perspective, we we gather data through the general process of helping people with the charge point and their tariff that can we can use to then make it seriously easy for them to understand what the ROI might be on a solar system or a battery storage system. So domestic, domestic energy, yeah, and being at the centre of that in terms of improving people's efficiencies and cost savings and making people run their houses or vehicles efficiently, that, that's, that's the eventual... Totally, yeah. Just helping electric car drivers go on a journey to decarbonise their homes and reduce their energy bills at the same time. And I would love to see Right Charge develop into a business over the next few years where we become the go-to company for decarbonising your home, going green um, and, and breaking down the barriers for people to do that. Cool. And we finished the podcast. It's a, it's a tradition, um, this series, to finish with two questions. Um, one of them is going to be slightly more challenging for you given that um, I think I've been kind of to say that, that you're quite a young CEO. Um, so what would you have said to your younger self which probably isn't that long ago knowing what you know now in business but you can maybe you know, talk around the, you know day one when you probably thought Christ are we going to get this, this this go into to where you are today um, so your younger self and then secondly um, who would you call your icon who, who is your icon so um, well firstly I think I'm feeling a lot less young I've got my first kid coming in January little girl so I think I'm probably going to feel a lot less young after that as well, well but, um, immediately after, yeah. but yeah younger self as you say so um, yeah number one tip um, I think something that I've sort of retrospectively been quite happy about decisions I've made in my life have been to take risks okay um, I think probably I'm personally quite a risk-loving person so you know 
maybe I made those decisions a bit easier, but maybe to my younger self, I would just exaggerate that, you know, take more risks. If there's something you're excited about, then go for it. Um, and the value of, you know, actually getting out there and doing something, even if it's like the tiny little bit of what you want to try and get done is so high because you can spend so much of your time just thinking about things and imagining things. Yeah. But yeah, the value of just getting out there and just trying something small, because if there's value in it, it might just build momentum and, and become that larger thing that you might otherwise think is impossible to achieve. Um, so yeah, it's sort of like ac- being action orientated with so what you want to do brave. and be brave. Yeah. Yeah. And your icon? Um, I actually probably take it right back to the beginning of, uh, of the podcast back to my granddad so yeah certainly I think he's been a huge influence in my life and you know sadly he actually he passed away a few months ago which is which is unfortunate but you know he, he had a fantastic life and um, all really built around the fact that he did that I guess really you know he he broke out from generations of coal miners in Swansea because he was willing to take a risk and and do something that he you know wanted to do and and, and get it done so yeah off nice. to, hats off to Kilby. I like, I, I like that. It's a nice nod to, to your granddad to to, um, to mention him. Well, Charlie Cook, you've got your name is one of um, well, my boy is one of their favourite books. God knows how you're going to explain <laughs> that to your daughter when you're trying to read that to her. Uh, for parents of young children, I think you'll know what I'm um, talking about there. You've hopefully saved our listeners some money as well along the journey, or when they visit the Right Charge website, they'll understand how that how that will work for them. Thank you very much for joining us on the Founding Chief Podcast. Thank you for having me, Paul. Thank you. This content is issued by Zeus Capital Limited, which is authorised and regulated in the United Kingdom by the Financial Conduct Authority for Designated Investment Business and is a member firm of the London Stock Exchange. Nothing in this podcast should be viewed as investment advice. Listeners should consult an investment professional before making any decisions regarding topics mentioned in this podcast. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and not of Zeus. Please note that participants in this podcast may have financial interests in the matters discussed.